All right, everybody, joining me on the show is Lance Griffin, Dothan Eagle editor and host of The Game Plan on WOOF-FM 100.1, 79 a.m., Monday through Friday. Uh, Lance, it's been a while since we've last spoke. Uh, thanks for being on the first episode of the new podcast, and uh, how's it, how you been? Great, man. I appreciate you asking, and looking forward to talking some college football. It's uh, going to be an interesting season, I'm sure it always is. You know, I was telling somebody that we're in June, and it feels like the season is far away, but really it's right around the corner. It is. We've already gotten underneath that 100-day mark, which always seems to be a mental landmark, and the days will trick off pretty fast, I believe, and we'll get to media days before you know it. And once you get to media days, then the season has basically started, so it it really won't be long. I know we get into June and people think that it is, but we, we've got plenty of stuff to talk about already. And before you know, it, we'll be kicking the sucker off. Yeah, it seems like you know after the spring meetings, you just have to get the media days, and then it's just you know it's it's all good there. Uh, some interesting stuff last week come out of the uh, SEC spring meetings. Of course, you know the big topic, one of the big topic discussions, anyways, was the the SEC transfer rule within the conference, the grad transfer. And, uh, you know, it's one of the rules. Saban gets a lot of uh, negative attention, I guess, on it because of his, I guess, his believing, his beliefs on it because he has called it free agency several times. I know he was just following a rule, but with him changing this rule and now allowing you to be able to play immediately instead of having to sit in that a year, uh, just your opinion on how big of a rule is this for the SEC and do you think it's a good or a bad rule? I can actually see both arguments here as to the people that would be against it and the the ones that really pushed it. I'm always fearful of the law of unintended consequences, Philip, when what sounds good on the surface, which is giving a player with a degree in his hand freedom to do what he wants to, which sounds perfectly reasonable. He's gone. He's gotten his grades. He has earned his degree and, why would he not be able to go where he wants? There's always something that ends up happening that we look back and go, wow, we did not think about that. And I just wonder if, and it may not, but I just wonder if we will start having sort of a fruit basket turnover of players. Uh, graduate transfers are not that common now, but who knows, maybe they may be. I remember the days back in, when I was a big Major League Baseball fan back in the 80s and 90s where you knew every player on every team because they pretty much stayed there, I don't want college athletics to get to the point to where, oh, yeah, I remember him. He used to play for this team, and then he went and played for this team, and now he's playing for this team. I hope it doesn't get to that, and who knows? I may be reading too much into it, but I do have a little bit of a fear there. Yeah, that is, you know, make a good point, a, a thing about college athletics when you look at, especially on college football, you know, they're there for three years. You associate that player with that, you know, university. You know, you're going to, you know, A.J. McCarron is associated with Alabama. Uh, back for the Auburn, Carnell Williams is associated with the Auburn Tigers. You know, professional sports don't have that anymore because there's so much turnover on every professional sports league with free agency. So, I guess you could say, uh, you know, like you said, he went to three different schools potentially. So it, I guess it's, it could be good, like you said, and be bad. Just 
you know, will it get out of hand? I think that's what Saban was worried about. It is, and also I'm sure, and most coaches probably believe this too, but just aren't as vocal as Saban, but I believe Saban believes that players are better off underneath his coaching, and that may just be, you know, the typical uh, alpha male thought of a head coach, but I think he believes that whether a player is actually starting 12 games or whether he's trying to find playing time, he ends up better off if he goes through the program under him. I don't know that if, if that would be the case or not, but I believe that's actually what Saban thinks and why he's been pretty vocal about the rule. Yeah, and another rule, and this is the NCAA rule he talked about last week that he's not necessarily happy about is, you know, limiting to 20 headsets. And Gus Malzahn also uh, not happy about it either, you know, saving going a line, calling it uh, mouse manure and elephant doo-doo. So another classic <laughs> line uh, from Nick Saban. Uh, it's, you know, his his press conferences are a must-see event now. I'm surprised that, you know, you know they don't start selling pay-per-view rights to his <laughs> press conferences. Uh the 20 headset rule, to you, is this a direct uh, shot at Alabama? Because, you know, you've seen them every year. They're hiring more and more assistant coaches. You know, they're bringing in Butch Jones on an intern level, which I know I saw the running joke over the weekend. Was it that's the reason why mm-hmm. they ran out of gas on the boat? Because Butch Jones forgot to fill it up. Uh, but right. with the 20 headset rules, like I said, you know, is that just, in your opinion, a shot toward Alabama? You know, because adding all the coaches that they do seem every single year. It always seems to be such a moving target to figure out exactly how many staffers and support personnel a program like Alabama has. I would assume Alabama is at or near the top in in that area, but I'm sure Alabama is not, not the only program that takes advantage of having the resources to have a lot of them on staff. I'm sure the... Uh, probably name six or seven other elite programs that that take advantage of that but it seems like Alabama because of the success Alabama has had because of the high profile guys that they have brought on in support roles and Sarkeesian and of course Jones and the attempt to bring on Freeze and all that uh, I would suppose that Alabama is kind of the poster child for that as they have been some other rules that have been passed as well. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago I heard somebody call it. He runs a, a head coaching rehabilitation clinic up there in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, you know, those are kind of the big, I think, the big storylines coming out of spring meetings, which is nothing compared to what you're going to get at SEC Media Days. Just, you know, as we head toward, you know, we're in the month of June, we head into July Media Days. What do you think are going to be the major talking points when we get there? Yeah, and there always are at least one or two themes going in you know I think one year it was head injuries uh, and what college football was doing maybe one year it was uh, other other rule changes and expansion talk and all that I think maybe this year the theme is going to be new faces or maybe familiar faces in new places with all the coaching turnover that took place you'll you know, you'll see Dan Mullen in a different color shirt. You'll see uh, Jimbo Fisher at Media Days for the first time. Uh, you'll see Chad Morris. Uh, you'll see 
uh, a couple of others as well. So I think that will probably be the theme in the, in the turnover. And then I think you'll probably single out a coach, maybe an Ed Orgeron or someone that will probably be the hot seat coach. So I, I could see that being a couple of things. Who knows what the NCAA is going to do when their rules committee meets in a, in a couple of weeks. So there may be some other rules changes that get talked about a lot. Um, and the other thing I think is the coordinator salaries, which seem to escalate and people kind of glom onto that and make a big deal of $2 million assistant coaches and all the money that, that goes to that. So I could see those as being some major storylines going into many days. Yeah, and, and you talked about Orgeron. I was going to ask you about that with a hot seat. Uh, for me, I think he would probably be the coach going to the season on the biggest hot seat. Because it is kind of, you look around the conference, a lot of coaches are just tied up in contracts too. But to me, I was not a fan of the Steve Innisminger hire because if he was such a good offense coordinator, why didn't you just retain him after your interim season instead of bringing in Matt Canada and what happened there? I, I just see if Burrow or any of these quarterbacks do not work out for LSU, I just see this team having a hard time this season because I don't think maybe they're not going to be as good defensively as they have been in years past. Yes, I think they're a fascinating story, LSU, going into this season for those reasons and more because when Ogeron was hired, it was this thought of Lane Kiffin coming in as the offensive coordinator. You already have a, a bona fide, uh, just outstanding defensive coordinator. Edo is supposed to be one of the best recruiters in the country. All the ingredients are there. And before you could turn around, most of that had already blown up. And it certainly appeared that Coach O did not really have a very good plan B once the Kiffin pursuit did not work out. And lo and behold, uh, you talk about bad chemistry with Canada. And would it, would, a, would a school like LSU be able to make a nationwide search for an offensive coordinator? You would certainly think so. And then they go out and hire someone that probably nobody else at the Power Five level would have hired. Who knows? Sometimes, you know, you've seen it at SEC football enough, Philip. Sometimes those things work out mm-hmm. in, in a way we never thought it would. And it turns out to be the greatest thing in the world. But gosh, there's an awful lot of things that if I'm an LSU football fan, I'm very nervous about going into this season. You know, and I, you know, because you already get into preseason magazines come out, Lindy's Affline, and, it's consensus. You know, Alabama, Georgia, it just looks like everybody believes those two are going to be the two teams meeting up in Atlanta. Uh, third, I see a lot is Auburn. And I have questions for Auburn. I think Jarrett Stidham is a, a top-flight quarterback. I've felt that way since last year. I think some Auburn fans at the end of the last season kind of jumped off the uh, the Jarrett Stidham uh, bandwagon a little bit. With a, uh, He needs to fix the turnovers. <laughs> but I have que- the defense, I think, at Auburn will be nasty. Uh, they'll have the kicking game. The special teams will be there. But that offensive line worries me because I think that was the weakness of the offense last season. Receiver injuries, running backs. I just I kind of worry for Jarrett Stidham to start the season. I just believe they're going to he's going to have to be so much of the offense early on while they try to figure out who's going to be the rest of the moving parts there. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. And Auburn always seems to have a running back. And maybe – one of the guys that we saw in the spring will end up being that guy that can be a 1,000, 1,200-yard rusher in the SEC, but I don't know who that is at this point. 
And if you don't know who that is and you are concerned about a couple of spots on the offensive line, then you do worry about the offense a little bit. Defense should be good enough to keep them in games and 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 hopefully uh, you know allow the offense to find itself. But I'm trying to think if if it is an Auburn right there, maybe behind Alabama in the West. Who is it? Uh, is it a Texas A&M? Are they surprised this year? Uh, we just got through talking about LSU. A lot of people are really high on Mississippi. It, it still may be Auburn right there, although there are question marks. Yeah, I guess another criticism I've had of Gus Malzahn is, and I get your take on this, is I think he coaches the team well at home. At Jordan Hare, I think Auburn, other than the six and six year, most years under him have been almost unbeatable at home. But it's like he, he can't take that great team on the road. It, it doesn't travel well. And I see you play Washington and Atlanta, where they lost their last two games, the SEC championship game to Georgia and against Central Florida, the you know unofficial national champions, I guess, as they want to call themselves. Uh, and then, so you play Washington and Atlanta. So, you know, neutral site game away from Jordan-Hare. And then you at the end of the season, you have to play at Georgia and at Alabama. So that's something to me he needs to prove himself. Did he, you know, earn that contract, prove that you can take this team Auburn when they are good like they should be on the road and win big games right and that game with Washington is a, a perfect example it's it will be much closer to a home game for Auburn than it will be for Washington that's for sure but it is not in Jordan Hare it is a game I believe Auburn should win even though the point spread does not appear to be that does not appear to be that that wide but I think with uh the defense that Auburn should put on the field, I think Washington will have a very difficult time moving the ball. But if Auburn does come out there flat, uh, those very things that you talked about, will they could really get in the heads of, uh, of some of the Auburn players. And you think about, whoa, you know, two road games coming up to the end of the season. and You don't want to start the season with, uh, with allowing that kind of mindset to creep in because it can easily do that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, Alabama, further up in state. Uh, the storyline is to dominate is is Tua and Jalen. Um, I watched the spring game. To me, Jalen is not quarterback. I mean, he doesn't look like he's improved uh, any at all as a passer. I mean, he didn't see much out of Tua because, you know, the injury. Just how, how long do you think Alabama can go without naming a starting quarterback? I mean, how deep into the season do you think the thing could go? It's a great question, you know. I think they went, what, was it three games before it wound up being A.J. McCarron over Phillip Sims or, mm-hmm. or something like that? It was, wasn't, wasn't that long before it was Jalen Hurts over Blake Barnett, but it was into the season. And I think if you get into, it doesn't even have to be the first game of the season. If you get into a couple of weeks before, and you just don't have a definitive answer, I think that pretty much keeps Jalen Hurts there throughout the year. Then what happens in December, you know, conventional wisdom would say he's probably going to try to find somewhere else. But I think the big question mark for Alabama would be, will you have Jalen Hurts this season, which can be either a great insurance policy or even more than that, 
possibly. So uh, Nick Saban has taken quarterback battles well into the season before, and I think it would probably be in Alabama's best interest for this one to go on a little while. What do you think? You know, for me, I've looked at their schedule, which I don't have it right in front of me, but I, you know, I know it opened with Louisville. I look at their schedule. I think you could play both quarterbacks into November when you get to the LSU and Auburn Mississippi State matchups because I, I just don't see any in their first eight games of the season anybody just that can beat Alabama because it wouldn't matter if Jalen Hurts quarterback or not. Just the talent for Alabama is going to overwhelm those teams. LSU always gives them a great game. I like Mississippi State. I like Joe, Joe Moorhead. I like what he did as a court office coordinator at Penn State. And, of course, the Auburn game is always going to be tough. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't think Nick Saban would do that, but I, I think they could do that if they wanted to. Yeah, they probably could. They could. <laughs> who knows? The way Mac Jones looked in the spring, they could probably play Mac Jones for most of those games and still be fine. It's a good problem to have. Um, but I think if Nick Saban – at least privately identifies Tua as being the guy that he thinks can take them all the way. Gosh, I mean, he got scant repetitions last year. I think you've got to get him as many game reps as you can. So when those tough games do come in November, he's ready to play, even though obviously he didn't need any repetitions to do what he did in one half of the national championship Mm -hmm. game. But, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think you want to have to, have him fill that role again. I think you want to give him a lot of reps if you think he's the guy. You know, and, and finally you look over on the, at the East, and it's it's very interesting over there. You got Georgia, who looks like the overwhelming favorite in the East. And now there's not it doesn't seem there's not an Auburn over there that could be a threat. Uh, new coaches, you know, Dan Mullen at Florida, uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. I like South Carolina as that second spot. But for you, who's maybe a dark horse over there in the East or a team that maybe could upset Georgia along the way? Yeah, I I like South Carolina too. I think if you're looking for a dark horse, if you want to call them that, that defense in Florida has been good enough and they've just been so willful on offense. And You know, you, you hear Gator fans over and over again saying if they could just move the ball a little bit, how much better would they be? And I think that's obviously one of the reasons Dan Bullen is there now. Uh, Florida's, I, I don't one of their greatest times of moving the ball after Spurrier was when Dan Bullen was the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer. And who knows if he can at least get a little bit more out of the offense than possibly Florida could. But I, I'm not sure if Dan Bullen feels like he has his quarterback yet and I think that'll be a big question for Florida going forward but I don't think Tennessee's ready uh, I don't uh, I don't think it's a Kentucky or a Vandy I, I would I would have to say outside of South Carolina Florida would probably have the best shot be interesting it, it is going to be interesting what Dan Mullen's able to do there because I like to hire I know some people I think national media looked at it as not a great hire but I think those are also people that don't realize the job he did at Mississippi State because I think, you know, at a time he may have been the second best coach in the conference behind Nick Saban just because what he was able to do, bringing in two and three stars and turn them into five stars when they left uh, Mississippi State. I agree. I think he did an awful lot with not very much. And if he can get some of that four-star talent, occasional five-star there and – and develop 
those guys the same way he was able to develop a Dak Prescott or someone like that, they certainly could uh, at least compete with Georgia. I, I think Kirby Smart is building a juggernaut at Georgia, but somebody will rise up in the East to give to give Georgia tussle and. Florida is probably in the best position right now, and it may take Jeremy Pruitt a little bit longer, but I think uh, I think they hired a good coach in him as well. But I would give Florida the edge to get there quicker. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think in a couple of years we're going to be back to Georgia, Florida, Tennessee as the dominant teams over there uh, in the East. But uh, anyways, Lance, uh, once again, I appreciate you, you taking the time out uh, to be on the first edition of the Football Report. Uh, a lot of fun talking SEC football with you. And uh, listeners want to follow you online. Uh, where can they find you and uh, where can they find the game plan? Yeah, sure. Uh, on Twitter at Eagle Lance, E-A-G-L-E Lance. Uh, Facebook page is The Game Plan with Lance Griffin. Just put a V in there, The Game Plan with Lance Griffin. And our um, our station, FM one Report 1 at AM560, grown a little bit. We've got a new tower out Enterprise Way, 107.1, so – Everybody out there in uh, Coffee County and parts of Geneva County as well should be able to pick us up pretty clear there as well. So lots of good ways to hook up with us. All right, sounds good. And uh, once again, Lance, uh, thanks for being on the show, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road. Philip, thanks a lot. Enjoyed the chat.